You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you in association with Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Getting noticed isn't always easy, because there's so much noise! But at Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, we make it easy. With standout signs, business cards, shop fronts, banners, leaflets, vehicle graphics, the lot. Showcasing your products, advertising your brand, and getting business noticed. So, what can we do for you? Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. by Hibbs only as far as Oda left foot shot goal it's Yutaro Oda with a left foot drilled effort into the bottom right corner hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club Happy New Year, one and all, welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel 2024. Did you know that around 2000 BC, the Babylonians celebrated the New Year during a 12-day festival called Itu? This was the start of the farming season to plant crops, crown their king and make promises to return borrowed farm equipment and pay their debts. Those pledges are possibly the earliest known versions of the New Year's resolution. Fast forward 4,000 years and Aki 2 is probably more likely to be mistaken for a player that hearts are targeting in the January transfer window. I'm Laurie Dunsire and delighted to be joined by a man who always returns his borrowed farm equipment, Mark Donaldson. The hell? You know, you're starting to be a bit like James Alexander Gordon, who, if those people out there don't know that name, used to read the the, the scores, used to read the results on BBC. And you always knew after the first team that he mentioned with his intonation of the score whether it's going to be a, a successful win or if it's going to be a defeat or or a draw or, or whatever. And your your tone, you're you're far more upbeat now. So the, that usually signifies that Hearts have had a good few results <laughs> um, as opposed to the previous kind of hello which was i am jolly which used to be on <laughs> christmas time on scotch and right i don't know what you have nowadays it's, i have no idea but i have to say that was i enjoyed last week's podcast um it, it, too much sense spoken though so i'm here to dumb it down again happy new year everybody yes happy new year and uh, the reason i gave that little history lesson was just because i was going to ask you what your new year's resolution is 2024 <laughs> My New Year's resolution is 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 not to be as kind of hearts win, best thing in the world. Hearts lose, everybody must be fired. I need to be more Scott McIntosh. I need to be more kind of middle ground, and and I need to not be as affected. I seem to be more affected by my football team in 2023 than I have been in previous years. Maybe because it's more over pragmatic. Here. Maybe. Maybe it's Scotty doesn't get too high, but he doesn't get too low. But like Stevie Nickel over here, I need to take a leaf out of your book. So that my New Year's resolution is to Kesara Sara, whatever will be will be, and just ride the heart's roller coaster, but don't get too upset when things go wrong. But enjoy the good times. I think I think you've 
basically stolen what my new New Year's resolution was going to be, pretty much. Um, we are also joined by someone. He may not be an expert in the ancient city of Babylon, but he does still have a copy of that David Gray song on cassette somewhere. Scott McIntosh. <laughs> How did you wow. know that? Uh, <laughs> Classic. Not like I say, I actually do have that album on CD, though. Is that White Ladder? About somewhere. Yeah. Uh, actually, he was the... He was the very first act I saw at my very first tea in the park. Was oh, there, look at that. We didn't oh, even plan that. Uh, so there's, there's a link. There's a link. And then the next, I think the next gig after that, my mate got hit in the head by an apple. Oh. Uh, we were down the front <laughs> for feeder. So, sorry. sorry, we're going on one of those tangents. No, uh, no, stick with it. Dave, by the way, David Graham, David Graham was at Hearts. 50 grand he signed for Man United. Yeah. Another sliding doors moment. What could have happened yeah. if? And who did he end oh. up with, eh? Oh, ah, exactly, yeah. Well, who has an apple? A gig. I thought you were going to say hit in the head with a pint or something or apple. an apple. Well, some they've got to eat something. I know, but it's a bit that's too healthy for a gig. Sensible and healthy, isn't it? Take take up with the person who threw it. I don't know. I don't know. If you're going to throw something, make it <laughs> substantial, a brick or something. Yeah, a back, bag of chips, a drink, something, an apple. Here's a piece of fruit. <laughs> I took along to the gig. Anyway, is, what it going, is it going about? to be like this for an hour? Is it um, New Year's resolutions? Fucking resolutions. Can we, can we talk? New Year's resolution, less tangents. Right. No. This is a hearts no, podcast. It's not a. It's not a David Gray. It's not a fruitmonger. Fruit David yeah. Gray White Ladder Babylon podcast. Um. Yeah. Th thank you for tuning in to the first Scarves Around the Funnel podcast of 2024. We will be talking all things maroon or or pink. Sometimes it is these days. Um, we're going to talk about the Ross County match because we last recorded before the final game of 2023. We are going to talk, of course, about the last game before the winter break, Hart's first game of the new year, which was away to Livingston. And we're also going to talk about some of the big moments from 2023. We put it out there on social media a couple of days ago and we asked for people to give us their best moment of 2023 this is hearts related of course uh, the worst moment of 2023 and the biggest surprise of 2023 so we'll get to them as well and anything else that might crop up over the next 60 minutes or so you're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s Let's start with that final match of 2023. Heart of Midlothian against Ross County. I'm not going to do a deep dive in this one, of course. A little bit of time has passed since then, but there's been a murder. Heart of Midlothian going into this game, maybe in uh, a bit of uh, maybe overconfidence in terms of how we felt about it, our predictions anyway. We were all going for a fairly comfortable Hearts win, albeit Mark wasn't here, he maybe would have predicted 2 two. something. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, there'd be three changes for Hearts for this game. Kingsley, Benny Beningame, Forrest out, in came Halkett, Lowry and Tagawa. So only a second start in 12 months for Halkett, only a third league start for Hearts for Tagawa, and Alex Lowry making his first appearance since the defeat at Petaudry. Also meant a reshuffled back three no Benny Beningame in midfield, and it was Lowry and Tago in the supporting roles to Shankland in attack. Now, first up, I'll just talk about the officiating in this one first of all, mainly because at the time of recording, we've 
just earlier today had the update that Alan Forrest has had his yellow card rescinded. That was for simulation in this game. Referee was Alan Muir in this one. Um, Mark, we, we never like to be too focused on officials. That's a bit more of a Rangers or Celtic-y kind of podcast vibe. Um, but this was a game where Alan Muir really just had a, a very poor one from start to finish. Hearts were poor. I felt Alan Muir probably maybe trumped them in being even worse. And it was summed up with that decision, wasn't it? That um, Forrest goes around the goalkeeper. Looked like when it happened, he was clipped. The way he went down. First kind of replays he get. Looks like he's been clipped. But the referee was absolutely dead certain it was a dive. So much so he brandished the yellow card instantly. Why do we have VAR in Scottish football? We have VAR to see these mistakes, to identify these mistakes, to overturn these mistakes. Now, as much as Alan Muir wasn't great in the game, I'm not going to absolve him of all the blame here because he sees what he sees, okay? And you can only give a decision based on, on what you have seen. But there's no excuse for it not to be overturned him not to be told, or him to be told, come over to the monitor. So who was VAR? Who was the VAR official that day? Who was the senior official? Um, VAR that day was David Munro. It's on him. It's on him. Because Alan Muir can only give what he thinks he's seen. Now, it doesn't take too long, okay, to just for Alan Muir to say, to the Ross County goalkeeper Ross Laidler, just hold on a minute. Just we're, we're just double checking that um, because if, if I remember rightly, the ball did go out. So yeah, it, it, it it's it's a mistake, and you don't normally appeal yellow cards. Um, you can only appeal yellow cards for for simulation, I think, um, or d wrong um, wrong decision. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Hearts, hearts, hearts have done it, and they've they've done it for the right reasons as well, because you're not going to get that back. You're not going to suddenly right, let's replay the game and get a penalty. But you've got a reputation that Alan Forrest, um, he doesn't want to be known as the guy that just falls over all the time. Leave that to Kenneth Vargas. Um, but he, he he has to be someone who next time that happens, there's there's not that well, it must be a dive because he's he's got he's got history for it. So it's not for me, Alan Muir wasn't great, but that is on David Monroe or whoever the VAR official was. That didn't take long. But again, the, here here's the problem with budget VAR, right? We've got six cameras, and that that's all we have. It's a non-old firm game, a non-televised game. It's been picked up by one of the cameras, but that's eventually. We've, we've seen it eventually from those cameras. The referee's video assistant has probably looked at that and seen a couple of different angles and thought, nope, not for me. Once play restarts, you've seen it before. You can't then go back and say it's, oh, shit, we've seen an angle that makes it look, in fact, it is a penalty. We should have given that. We've, we've seen decisions like that not be given after the event. Play's restarted. It's happened to hearts. We've just got to be better. But when you're playing with a shitty six-camera budget VAR, you're going to get things like that, and that that's on the SFA. That's on whoever um, introduced this to Scottish football. They've come in with a half-arsed product, and it, it, it it's no surprise you're going to get decisions like this because ultimately there's a view of, yes, it's a foul, but it wasn't in time for the restart of the game. Incidentally, David Munro is the same referee who was sent to the screen at Fir Park when Liam Boyce 
took a boot to the chest and did not give a penalty kick. Anyway, that was at 0-0. That was uh, obviously a pivotal a moment in the game. What we shouldn't overlook here is that certainly, as mentioned, Alan Muir and the uh, officiating in the game overall was not the only thing that was poor in this one. Um, Scott, we've, you know, we've highlighted in a few games that Hearts haven't always been at their best recently, but they found a way to, to get results. This did feel like a game, though, where Ross County took full advantage of the fact that they had had a two-week break and Hearts had been playing quite a, a few fixtures and had a lot of players that were um, a bit leggy, I think is what Naismith called it. Yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's a fair shout to say that Ross County took advantage of that. I, I think that the Hearts players did look a bit leggy. <clears throat> I would also say that there was a, a tweak to the Ross County system that Hearts had clearly not uh, sort of set up for. Uh, yeah, I think moved to a four, didn't they? They don't usually. Yeah, I, I'd been doing a show with with James on the Hearts standard just prior to Saturday, and we were talking about how Ross County had been setting up with a three-four-one-two uh, since De- Derek Adams had come in. Uh, they've obviously came in and decided to go for a sort of four-two-two-two and play quite narrow uh, because I think they had been having issues uh, sort of down the flanks recently, and that seemed to catch us cold as well. Uh, but to be fair, you know we seem to. You know, we started to address it in terms of the shape after the first sort of half an hour, but unfortunately the personnel still needed changed at half time uh, to try and work within it as well. Uh, so yeah, there was a bit of a mixture of being caught with that, but then also, uh, you know, the, like you've mentioned, the aforementioned sort of uh, difference in terms of, you know, weariness and, and sort of freshness between the two squads. Derek Adams isn't half though, is he? I mean... Ross County played well. They did well, but murdered just us, didn't they? Murdered us. Murdered us. And just as this this post match interview, just no need to be that. What did you think of it? What did you think of it? Just antagonistic, uh, isn't he? Just why? 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 I mean, your team have played well. Fair enough, you lost a two nil lead, but you know, I was quite impressed with Ross County over it. I just don't know why he has to come out and be such a ball bag. And it obviously has recent history for being a total ball bag. And in fact, um, longer history as well. Anyway. Not going to get too caught up about Derek Adams. Um, so, yeah, Hearts not at their best. 0-0 at halftime, though. They do make a couple of changes. But still Ross County who end up going 2-0 ahead. Um, Alex Cochran diverting the ball into his own net. Then a really well-taken free kick from Jan Danda. Albeit, I have no idea how it was a free kick. Um, as players go that you could target, <laughs> I was Jan Danda. Go there. Oh, I'm, I'm absolutely going to go there. So Jan Danda okay. is someone who... Very rarely do teams in Scotland outside Celtic and Rangers sign players who I am well aware of already, if it, unless they're from Scotland. But when Ross County signed Jan Danda, I was like, I know about him. I've, I've heard he was a real prospect and he's played quite regularly in the English Championship. I was very surprised they signed him. And <clears throat> he's proven to be a very good player for them. I mean, every time I've seen him, whether it's been in his hearts or the odd bits of highlights or the odd live game when Ross County are playing Rangers or Celtic I've, I've been pretty impressed by him mm. six months did left you, in his deal yeah did you know that when he was 14 and he was playing for West Brom in their academy Liverpool signed him for 200 grand a lot of money for, for yeah. a youngster and look we all know everyone listening can identify players that were 
really talented coming through the ranks and for whatever reason didn't make it. Now, Ross County isn't Liverpool, it's not West Brom, but I think he's better than than where he is right now. Um, Soccer Way had him playing kind of wide right against Hearts. Is that where he, because they can sometimes be wrong, is that where he lined up? Because if it is, I think he would do, he would be a good squad player for us to have in that position. Did he, did he play wide right against Hearts? No, nah, he, he was of, more central. Was he, he had a bit of freedom, but he was kind of he was he was on the right side, but dropping into the centre with Sims yeah. kind of on the left. I, I think the way they wanted to do it was they wanted him and Sims to go and push out wide when they were pressing Hearts on the ball, but when Ross County were in possession, he was tending to take sort of more central positions, and that's that's generally what he likes to do. When, when yeah, he was drifting in because he had um, Brown was kind of bombing up and down the right yeah. from fullback and Danda would um would drop in the middle. But yeah, it was his 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 kind of starting position would be right. But yeah, when he was Yeah. And he, he, look, his preferred position's a ten. I read an, uh, an yeah. interview with him. Because I wanted to talk I'm glad you brought it up. I read an interview with him when he was at Liverpool. He was talking about how his his style is is he wants to kind of emulate this was back when he was at Liverpool, Philippe Coutinho. He, he feels he's that type of player. Maybe as a ten or coming in from the right hand side. I don't know if we have that type of player right now. And I, I spoke about a month ago and we had this discussion about snobbery and turning our nose up at certain players that might play for for so-called lesser teams without being disrespectful to them. Um, and Jan Danda is someone who, if Glenn Kamara can go for 50 grand from Dundee to Rangers with six months left on his contract, you're going to get him for buttons. So I don't, I don't see what the risk is. And the bottom line is you can offer them a pre-contract and then you can start to sure, of force the issue. You know, if, if Hearts negotiated with someone like that, they agreed, okay, you sign them for Hearts in the summer, that's when you can kind of force Ross County's hand, potentially. Or a club like that, you know, you get towards the end of the, the month, you're like, right, what's it going to take for us to take them now? You know, you know you're know, you going to get, you're only going to get them for another five months. We'll give you X amount of money. To, nope, we don't want that. And then you you get to the final day and that's when you can potentially get them. Ross County may, you know, Ross County Potentially, if we did this, this is all hypothetical, of course. We've absolutely no idea if Hearts have even got any um, aspirations of signing Danda. But, you know, if they did, Ross County may, may still think, right, we need to stay up. He could be the difference in staying up. In the same way that if someone came in for Shanklin, we'd be like, well, why are we going to sell him? Because he's going to be the difference we're getting third and not. But you put yourself in a position where if you if you get a player like that on the agreed contract, worst case scenario, you do get him in the summer. And potentially, I suppose, you can then maybe force that club's hand towards the end of the window and I'm sure in a year's time if we've still got Shanklin we'll be in the exact same boat when clubs start to be able to offer him a pre-contract but um just, yeah, it's just, just, yeah it's just a position I don't think I, th- I think we could do with someone like him and go on oh, YouTube, absolutely there's, there's a whole yeah. host of free kicks that that he scored from not just the one at Tynecastle. he's really good from there and I would like whether it's Scott watching or anyone else watching or you in commentary to go oh I, I, I honestly don't know who's going to take this free kick because Kingsley's good at them Danda's good at them that kind of thing so yeah I would I would make an inquiry um Josh Chanelli play I mean pace wise I, I, I saw a, a chunk of the Ross County game I've not seen enough of it I've seen him in, in other games would you say he's got noticeable pace or because that's what we need in that position is is he can he beat a fullback i don't think he's noticeably pacey but he's not slow i, I don't i think it, he's got quick feet so be able to take players on and go by them I, I would say you know having seen him he's what we would hope 
Alex Lowry would be. Right. But right now, Alex Lowry's not. No. I, I, you know, for me, apart from right back, I think that is the type of player we need most in this window is someone who can play in that 10 role and can actually, I guess, support Shanklin and create and play off him, set up goals and score goals. And that's Curious. what he's would, there for. Would you two sign him or would you two make inquiries about him? I'd, I'd certainly consider signing him. I think I think he fits the profile of what a lot of Hearts fans would like to see us do a little bit more of in the transfer market. The problem is, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if he fits into what we're what we're trying to identify just now. I don't know if Stephen Naismith has identified the need for a number ten because he's you know he's like you say he's got Lowry there, he's got George Grant potentially as well. Liam Boyce comes back, he can play a ten. Shanklin can drop in. So I, I personally think we need, if not another ten, we need somebody who can even you know, who's capable of maybe travelling five, ten yards with the ball uh, for the sort of centre of the midfield. So we need we need something in there. But I think because of how difficult January is, I've kind of resigned myself to not seeing any movement for that type of player until the summer at least. Uh, plus, we, we do have sort of Macaulay Tate starting to come through and Finlay Pollock back as well. So it could be a case of maybe either of them maybe getting a, a bit of game time between now and May. But... He's, he's a player I've, I've admired. I, f I think he's a great player, uh, like you guys have already touched upon. I think Ross County are lucky to have him, but uh, do, do I see him being at Hearts? No, I just I just can't see... I just don't see us making those types of signings just now. I mean, he's played most of his games in an attacking midfield position, some in central midfield. You know, playing wide has not been commonplace for him, although I know his starting position against Hearts was there so I mean for me if you put someone in that position like him between maybe our two central midfielders supporting Shankland you know, he can pick the ball between them I, for me that's a big issue, he's in the middle of the park and yeah, maybe you need someone better in there but I don't know I just I haven't seen enough from Lowry um, Tagawa's still TBC, whether that's going to work out um, Vargas and Forrest, there's been some flashes but in different ways than Adanda so I don't think we've got enough um, players that can unlock a defence I watched exactly, his goal yeah. for Ross County against Motherwell where he, he kind of comes in off the left hand side but he shoots from distance, he likes to do that and have we had anybody since Rudy that regularly had shots from distance uh, what effective shots <laughs> yes yes um, put, put I don't think we take enough shots. I think I, while you're thinking, I'll, I'll pad. Um, La I, Lafferty, Lafferty was a yeah, bad he wasn't range. known. He wasn't known. Not known, but I mean, he wasn't picking the Walker. Up. I would say, yeah, I mean, to like have a box. Shout, yeah. But th these are guys that haven't played for years for Hearts. We haven't got that type of player. He's just he's something different. I don't think we take enough shots. Well, you from said since Rudy. I mean, was... no, oh, I, exactly. I get. It. Yeah. I would take him. I would absolutely Just, take yeah, Yandanda. Um, Thank you. Done. I don't think they. To be fair, I don't think they take something like that for him. I think they'd probably value having him for longer. But I, I get the sense. He's out of contract in the summer. No, I know, but I mean, but if Ross County are involved in a relegation dogfight towards the end of the season, which looks like they will be, then they might rate someone who can pick a pass, who can score a goal. I mean, last season he got ten assists and six goals for Ross County. 
yeah, which I think is pretty. This decent. is not. This is not. This is this is a league that doesn't take much to move up. The positive in this game was the fact that Hearts did fight back. You know, right after going two 0 behind, Vargas and Kingsley were brought on. So again, you have got to credit the manager for for making changes that did positively impact the game. Vargas obviously gets Hearts back into it with a neat finish. Good to see him back on the score sheet and that man Shankland on the score sheet yet again usually is. And to be honest, Hearts could have easily won that match after that point. If anyone was going to win it, it was going to be Hearts. It felt like when you got towards the end of the game, Ross County seemed happier to, to see that one out. So I think fighting back to get a draw from that position has to have some kind of positive element to it as well. Even though overall you would see it's two points dropped against a a Ross County side that weren't in good form themselves. Um, but I don't want to focus too much on Ross County because we do have another game to get to. It's now 2024. We don't want to dally too much on the game against the Staggies. Forrest Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. Okay, so we're going to move on, um, and we will uh, we'll, we'll quickly listen back to the action from West Lothian to start 2024. Saved by Jack Hamilton, had a very good game last time the sides met, and Hearts go forward again, Cochrane to Vargas once more, Vargas low shot, yeah! and it's in this time! Yes, Hearts didn't have to wait very long, again it's Cochrane sliding the ball through, Kenneth Vargas onto it. And he just rolled the ball into the bottom right corner, third of the season, second against Livy. And with less than 53 minutes on the clock, it's Kenneth Vargas, Livingston nil, Hearts and Midlothian one. Brilliant, getting from back to front really, really quickly there, Hearts. And it's Alan Forrest down the left-hand side. I think Forrest has been brilliant. He's probably been one of best, uh, Hearts' best players to date. He does it, and he, look, he just times this, times this pass perfectly for Kenneth Vargas. And Vargas opens his body up, passes it across the goalkeeper. Really calm finish again from Vargas. We saw it against Ross County the weekend. We see it again there. Ball forward towards Forrest. Find Shanklin now in the box. Shanklin with a chance, right foot. Bottom what corner! A what a finish! Lawrence Shanklin, you can't keep a good man down. 18th of the season. Right footed into the bottom corner. Who needs penalties, eh? <laughs> Lawrence Shacklin on the score sheet yet again. Livingston nil. Hartman Lothian two. Ah, listen, I think we're going to go through another daft offside look here, but it doesn't matter. That is a phenomenal finish from Lawrence Shacklin. Talk about composing yourself. Talk about the skill, the quality of this man, and the way that he just caresses that with the outside of his foot into the bottom corner is absolutely wonderful. What a finish that is from Lawrence Shacklin, oh, right inside the corner. Just superb. Shinny from 12 yards. Steps up, down the middle and scores. And Shinny's got a go back here for Livingston. First of the season. His fourth goal against Hearts. And he does what Lauren Shanklin couldn't do at the other end. It's Livingston 1, Hearts 2. Okay, so Livingston 1, Hearts Midlothian 2. Uh, I've already do a little email before this one because we got a message from Harry Bell um, after the Livingston game. So we'll get to this and then we'll just dissect the match a little bit. He says, Happy New Year to you all. Um, it's been an interesting and somewhat stressful first half to the season. 11 points from our opening 10 games with 
eight goals for and 11 against and doing at Hamden and are doing at Hamden along the way. That said, you have to hand it to Stephen Naismith. He's found a way to win 25 points from our last 11 games, 15 goals for and seven against. That's a brilliant run and an impressive points haul. So why does it then feel fragile and I still have concerns about what lies ahead? Is it because we are struggling to find fluency with the ball? Is it an over-reliance on Shanks? Is it because we need two or three players to help kick us on? Is it because we are getting results? We were getting results under Robbie, but performances were poor, which ultimately caught up with us in February and March 2023. Or is it because I've just not quite adapted to winning ugly? Of course, I'll take that, and I hope Joe Savage gets the job done before we kick off in a couple of weeks. Harry B. So, similar kind of note to <clears throat> what we were discussing previously, I think, about obviously Hearts getting results, but still having some room to improve upon performances. In terms of the Livy game in particular, this was a game that, again, you could point to lots of reasons why Hearts should feel like they're going to get a result here. Livingston winless in 12 matches. That dated back to the 7th of October. And since that win against Motherwell, a 2-0 victory, they'd failed to score in five home games, although they had drawn their previous two 0-0. Hearts with four wins in their last five away matches ahead of this one and just one defeat against Livingston in their previous 12 meetings with the Lions. Five changes, though. For Stephen Naismith. Rolls and Atkinson obviously away at the Asian Cup now. They were out of the team. Denham um, dropped out as well. Lowry and Tagawa, the other two. Benny Beningame incidentally still missing. Barry Mackay injured. And it meant that Kingsley, Sibick, Haring, Forrest and Vargas came in. Probably the biggest shock there. Peter Haring giving his, giving his first start since the 16th of September against Aberdeen. A few surprises with that team, Scott. However, when you look at the list of players unavailable to hearts we were almost in the territory of scraping the barrel weren't we with putting a team together and i think stephen naismith was pretty much forced in what he had to do with a lot of those changes yeah i, I think the Harden one makes sense from a from from a few angles i think given that Livingston's sort of main arsenal or, or sort of weapon would be from set plays, having a bit of extra sort of covering there aerially and, and, and Haran and a bit more of a physical presence certainly does help. Uh, I also recall, you know, you know, going back a couple of years to that that game at the same ground where, you know, we start Ben Woodburn in the middle of the park, he lasts half an hour and then we have to bring Haran on to sort of almost get a bit of calm in the centre of the midfield uh, and sort of have someone in there who's who's capable of sort of recycling possession. So I think I think the Haran decision to be fair made sense and I think in another way it was justified. I think a lot of people will probably bulk at that suggestion. But I do think Peter Haran had a not bad game uh, the other day. I thought he made some decent runs. I thought that some of his passing uh, was decent as well. I think the issue comes from us going with a two-man midfield. Yeah. I think that was potentially a bigger issue rather than the personnel itself. Uh, I did think playing the three at the back was going to cause us issues. I would have liked to have seen us... I, I, I get that we needed to go with that three men sort of uh, pronged attack and we wanted to go a bit more back to front, which I completely you know, agree with playing at Almondvale. But 
to do that, you really then need an extra man in midfield to sort of pick up those second balls. Because if you're not going to be sort of playing precise balls through the through the uh, the team, and if you're going to be going back to front, there is a chance that a, lo- a lot more sort of loose balls will drop into that midfield area. And I felt like Newenhoff and Harren really struggled in particular in that first half. So it would have made sense to have either started Denham, maybe put Cochrane in there and play at uh, Kingsley left back and again I think that sort of contributed to the the sort of narrative that Livingston were, were easily the team in the ascendancy during that first period Yeah so Hearts had the 3-4-2-1 shape again Clark and goals, Kent, Halkett, Kingsley the back three, Civic right, Cochrane left, Haring and Newenhoff in the centre and Forrest and Vargas supporting Shankland as Scott rightly points out it was Livingston who were in the ascendancy early on. They started the game stronger two minutes in. Ayo Obalai had a header that forced a save from Xander Clark from a corner kick. Nine minutes in, it looked like Livy had the lead. Uh, ball in from Shinney from the left. Curtis Guthrie with a header, but eventually ruled out from offside after a VAR check. Um, you felt like that was maybe a kind of a let off for hearts mark a warning sign but they just never really got going in that first half for the majority of it i know later on in this podcast we're going to look at high moments low moments good things bad things of the of the year um and i know this was the second of january but that first half was just totally grim and even when the team came out and i get we, we were kind of limited with what we can do scott's right if if if, if you're playing hiring which it didn't have many other options. You've got, to, you've got to have legs around them. And I don't want to kind of go against myself when I'm talking about the New Year's resolution and not to get too down or negative about things, but I'm really struggling right now to see what Callum Newenhoff brings to this Hearts team. He's good at pointing, um, but I just... I, I don't know what he is. I know he wears number eight, but I, I just don't think he was a good partner for Peter Haring. I... We've spoken before about certain midfield partnerships that we have work and others you, you just you can't really have them. And I put a tweet out at half time saying I wanted them to go to a back four, move Cochran into the middle, take off Newenhoff and and Haring and and bring on um Cochran and and try and do, do something. Um not bring on Cochran, sorry, bring on Denham and, and Lowry. And I know I, look Stephen Naismith has has got a decent over the piece. I think he's got a decent enough record of changing things, identifying things, and changing them. But why can't we start well rather than have to wait until something goes wrong? Because we were fortunate, really, really lucky, and that was a hell of a wait while they drew the lines for for that to be seen as as offside. But we were really lucky there. We didn't stop the cross. We didn't get close enough. A lot of our players didn't look comfortable on that surface. And understandably, it's horrible. But you've got to play there. And we got the win. So, yeah, the positives are the, the turnaround. I get that. But I think we maybe got away with it slightly in that first half that we went in on level terms rather than going behind because, we yeah, just it was not good in that first half. I think for me, one of the other things I wanted to touch upon, which would have made things slightly more comfortable for the team, would have been to have played with that flat four and play Sibic as a right-back. We all know that he's not overly comfortable on the right side in any capacity, but trying to play him as a wing-back, you were were just asking for trouble. Uh, That tended to be a 
an area of the park that Livingston had clearly worked on and planned on in the build-up to the match. And Penrice kept on finding space in behind them to play the typey balls that he did for that offside goal from Guffrey. So I, I think you're right, Mark. I think we, we need to give Naismith praise because I think over the last three games, he's, he's made a number of changes in terms of system and personnel, which has really affected the final outcome of the match for the for the team, I just think, like you've mentioned there, we just need to try and get it right a bit more from the from the start. And and I think being a little bit more flexible in terms of that back three just now would possibly be the way to go. Especially with roles being away now on international key, duty, so, yes. that might be something we maybe need to work on during the the winter break and maybe have a a, a bit more fluidity with that sort of back system. Uh, for the sort of upcoming two or three games at the end of the month. But in terms of, uh, I guess, changes in the game, yeah, half-time, no, no, there weren't any subs at half-time from Hearts, but hugely positive start to the second half, especially in comparison to the first. Sure. You know, Opening 60 seconds, Kenneth Vargas fires wide, and that kind of set the tone for at least the kind of first half of the second half, anyway. Um, Alex Cochran, two minutes later, slides in Alan Forrest, who's fouled by Mikey Devlin, penalty kick given. Um, Lawrence Shanklin, I, I tweeted afterwards, got to respect him, um, proving the doubt was wrong by not only being top scorer in the league, but now just actively missing penalties. So no one says that that's all he can do. But um, it, it was a much positive, a much more positive start. And you know, when the goal came, it's two minutes after the penalty miss. Actually, Alan Forrest slides in Kenneth Vargas from the left wing. It's a really good finish. It had been coming, so there was a real change around, wasn't there, in that second half? And I thought Forrest was outstanding throughout the game. And it just shows you, you, you talk about wingers and you talk about consistent wingers. It's a difficult position to be consistent. But when you're in the team, out of the team, off the bench, then subbed or whatever. But to get a run of games, I think it'll, it'll do him the power of good. And I thought he was exceptional. Uh, I thought it was a really good finish by, by Kenneth Vargas. I think there's an element of being an instinctive finisher about him. Billy Dodds was always an instinctive finisher. Give him the ball, give him a one-on-one, through-on-goal type of thing, and it's like, Ur. but Vargas, that was a really good finish from him, but a, a super assist from Alan Forrest. But there's still the... I, I, VAR for me, I know we got away with one, um, with the, the header in the, the first half from Curtis Guthrie, but it just it's taken away so much of the kind of innocence of of football and celebrating a goal, that wait after Vargas scores and then the wait after Shanklin scores and then the wait to determine if it's a penalty and then if it is, is it offside? It's just, I don't like it. It's just taken away a lot from the game. It's taken away the innocence of the game. I'm happy that it was onside for both goals. Not so happy it was a penalty, but... Yeah, we need to be doing better with with VAR because we're making a mess of it, and it's it's having a detrimental effect on on the paying public and the viewing public as well, and the lack of consistency as well. Because we've not even talked about the fact that Lawrence Shankland had his shirt um, pulled fully over his head <laughs> when trying to attack a corner in the first half, which um, was not picked up yet. Um, it seems that certain other shirt pulls in the box are. Um, very noticeable and result in a different outcome. But we don't want to focus too much on that. We've had a lot of VAR chats before. We will no doubt get to it again. But at the moment, you mentioned you know the Shanklin goal, 64th minute. Alan Forrest involved again, clipped it into Shanklin. And it's a 
an outside of the right peg beauty just whipping it into the the left corner of the goal and um, he is showing his his versatility and variation in his goals still, isn't he, Scott? This one, a, a right foot peach. He's been scoring his left foot a lot recently just to keep things interesting. But so much to like about the way he's finishing just now. Yeah, and I think the, the real thing to admire uh, from this goal is how calm he is. You know, he takes a touch and he takes his time. Uh, he, we've all been accustomed now, especially over the last 15 to 20 years, with front men who would snap at that chance, they would potentially take one touch and then maybe just swing at it, but he actually takes a bit of time. To be fair, Mikey Devlin should probably be doing more to sort of not allow him that time and space in the box, but he takes his time and he picks his spot and it's the sign of a, a guy who's in real form and, and probably, you know, at, at the peak of his career. So 2-0 to Hearts. Uh, Livy do change things a little bit in terms of just throwing heaps and heaps of attacking players on, which inevitably causes some problems for the opposition. They get a penalty, and to be fair, I think when you eventually see a decent replay of it, it looks to be the right call when Frankie Kent's hand out off of, off of the hand and the penalty given, and Shinny converts it with 12 minutes to go, which... It does add that little bit of nervousness to the end of the game. But one other thing just to, to highlight, we didn't actually make a change till the 90th minute. Aidan Denham, the first man to come on. And um, he actually had a, a real positive impact. Um, it sounds odd for someone who comes on the 90th minute, but when you end up with 10 added minutes, there's actually quite a bit of time to, to go. And I thought he was really positive in the middle and that helped Hearts just about get over the line in the end. When you see the behind-the-scenes access that the excellent art social media accounts gives you, and Aidan Denham looks like an, an integral part of of that heart squad, despite the the kind of young age, he, he looks like he believes he belongs. And Stephen Naismith's comments about him as well, the maturity and the older head on on young shoulders. Was it just he played quite a lot recently? Is that the reason he didn't start? Because I, I agree with you. I thought he was excellent when he when he came on. I think, to be fair, I would say over the last couple of games, he has struggled uh, against Hibs. <clears throat> he took a couple of dull knocks in the first half, and, and I think that's what ultimately partly contributed to him coming off at halftime in that game. Against St Mirren, we, we changed the shape. So again, we, we couldn't ask him to go and play wide right. So then we brought Odo on for him at halftime. So he's been, I think he's been a little bit unfortunate. In, in terms of the last couple of games, you know, Lux kind of went against him. Uh, I, when I when I watch him and I watch Neuenhoff, I think the glaring thing to me is that Denham has an appetite to get involved and wants the ball at every opportunity. Now, there's been a few occasions where when he gets the ball, he maybe isn't quite making the right decision, but he is the closest we've got to probably filling Cammy Devlin's shoes when he's out the team. With Neuenhoff, uh, uh, away from ability, I just think he tends to hide. He tends to pick the easy option. Sometimes he just looks like he's wanting to get rid of the ball. He, he doesn't look very confident. His body language is not that of a central midfielder who looks like he wants to dictate the game. Uh, he, he lacks pace, either over you know short or long distances. And again, I just I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure what he's offering us just now, but also after now having 
I think we've had a decent sample size now to, to make a bit of a, a judgment on him. I'm not quite sure what the recruitment of Callum Newenhoff was supposed to do in terms of improving the standard of the the team or the squad. Uh, he doesn't offer anything different to the central midfielders that we we already have at our disposal. So it is a bit of a it's a baffling sort of uh, transfer or signing when when you now you know get an opportunity to watch him uh, close quarters. I thought there was a couple of games earlier in the season where he, he contributed, I think in particular during that game at Ibrox, he brought a bit of energy. But generally speaking, on and off the ball, he's not been great. You know, you think back to that Celtic game at Tynecastle where he was failing to track runs. Uh, and then you look at some of our, our most recent games where we've had a lot of the ball and again he, he just he just hasn't really offered much, and I would say, you know, Denham is, is for me anyway. I know probably not reflected in the in the team selection thus far, but I would say Denham's probably ahead of him in the pecking order. For me right now, I I, I couldn't disagree. Certainly, jury's still out. Um, switching things to um, a positive angle again, just because Hearts did see the game out for a two-one victory, seven away wins now in the league in the season, pretty much just past the midway point. Um, Joel Sked covered this on the Heart Standard uh, just earlier today, actually, I think it was. Um, the four top flight campaigns since 1992 um, when Hearts won more games on the road than their current seven, only only four, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2006, 2007 and 2010, 2011. 2010-2011, the only season across the last three decades when Hearts have won more than seven top flight games after 20 fixtures. And they've yet to win 10 in a season since that 91-92 campaign. And they had 15 uh, away league wins, although it was obviously a bigger, um, uh, more fixtures in the division at that point. So that side of things, when you talk about positives, that's pretty impressive. Because right now, you know, don't want to count any chickens yet, but Hearts could well reach that number for the first time in, in over three decades. December yeah. was a big month, wasn't it? With, with with the games. And then you look what's coming up. Away from home, at Dundee, at St Johnston are the next two um, in the league. At Ibrox, then at Ross County as well. No point in getting too carried away, but we we, we I think we might have a setup that's better suited for going away from home right now than trying to break teams down that come and sit in at Tynecastle. Yeah, I think I think there's um there's merit in that. That obviously the current setup gives us better opportunity away from home. And um I, I suppose that's why we're kind of focusing on the, the side of things that we maybe need to do better in, which is the home form and I guess breaking those sides down. I think that's why do you not think Scott that, that January is really big for, for Hearts and Stephen Nason. They've given themselves a really good platform, a really good foundation if we can bring in the right players, maybe we can then give ourselves options that allow us to improve the home form and potentially add some maybe more expansive and progressive performances to the repertoire this campaign. Yeah, I, I, I really don't foresee there being a lot of transfer activity. They'll, they'll clearly try and identify someone to come in and provide a bit of competition on that right-hand side. Uh, and, and they may potentially look at bringing in another player, whether it be someone 
another attacking option or midfield option. Uh, but again, unless something comes to them that they think they just can't refuse, <clears throat> I can't see there being a lot of business being done. They'll probably already be starting to identify who they want in the summer. You know, there's a number of players out of contract. It's been very quiet around Benny and Halkett. So there's two potential, you know, uh, important members of our squad that we may need to try and replace. Uh, I would be surprised if we don't tie Alan Forrest down to a, another deal. Shankland may still be here past the summer, but he may not. So, yeah, I, I think the the main activity is probably going to be seen over the summer again. I think this month, if we can get another right-sided player in, if we can try and get a bit more guile in the midfield, I for me, I would be very tempted to, to to let Alex Lowry go back to Rangers and and try and try and either bring someone else in a bit more experienced or try and get a bit more game time to someone like Macaulay Tate or Finley Pollock. Uh, I just think just now he hasn't been getting a lot of game time over the last five or six weeks, so the loan deal isn't really working to his advantage, which means it's not really working to Rangers' advantage, and I don't see really what it's it's doing for us either. Uh, so for me, it, it would be the best opportunity to maybe have that conversation with Rangers and with the player and and see if maybe we, we look elsewhere and we try and bring somebody else in this month, because that's, that's been a, a disappointing aspect to the the season so far and that's not just on the players again as I mentioned before I think we're we're struggling in possession particularly at Tynecastle and I just think the way the league is just now there's a lot of managers in this league who are very very adept at, at setting their teams up with a low block I think if you look at Craig Levine you look at Derek McInnes you look at Stephen Robinson they all kind of almost offer the same thing and I think this is why a lot of teams are, are, are really struggling to sort of win their home games and sort of break teams down uh, which is an advantage to us because we seem to have now sort of fallen into that mould and I think that's why we've seen a, an upturn in our away, our away form over the last few months but yeah, it'd be, given that for the majority of Hearts fans the majority they are sort of viewing it's taken live at Tynecastle through their season tickets. It would be nice to see us try and, you know, uh, improve on our, our form and our, and our performances over the next few months. Let's talk about the fact Hearts are five points clear in third as we go into the winter break. Five points clear of Kilmarnock with a game in hand over them. Seven clear of St Mirren. Eleven clear of Hebs. They've got a game to catch up, but we don't care about that. And we won't even talk about the bottom six teams just now. So we've put ourselves in a very strong position. That's 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 a big thing, I think, for Hearts. And we're hoping that maybe we can kick on in the second half of the season. I'm aware, you know, that the email we got, of course, um, from... Harry highlights the fact that, yeah, we were maybe in a similar position at the turn of the year last season, but let's hope we've learned from those um, those previous mistakes. Let's hope we see something different this campaign. We'll get back onto that, I'm sure, in, in fair time, but for now, let's move on. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald's Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Now, 
I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about um, looking back at 2023 with three particular items to cover. Best moment of 2023, worst moment of 2023, and the biggest surprise of 2023. We've got a few tweets, so I'm going to go through some of these, and I'll also get some feedback from Mark and Scott. We may, be, we may well cover their picks for these items but we'll we'll have a look first so best moment of 2023 mike bradley messaged us and said the european nights at gorgie i really need to renew my passport for away trips and um a few people in a similar vein but they mentioned specifically one game pete douglas said uh, rosenborg at home surprised my dad with hospitality tickets met gary Locke and a 90th minute winner so yeah, can't beat that. Grant Haddon says has to be Rosenborg. It was just a great European experience. Jamie says Rosenborg limbs. Ryan Whitelaw says a Rosenborg home game. And Alan Fraser also said the Rosenborg game. Um, Stevie Morris said Humphrey's wonder goal against Dundee United. It was amazing oh. to see it live. So also a a good shout there. And um, we've got a few more. What about you, Mark? Any particular moments? stand out for you or one moment in particular yeah i'm I'm going to combine and bookmark the start of the year and the end of the year with with wins at easter road lucky enough to be home for the scottish cup tie yep. <laughs> then the shit hit the fan and the few months after that and to my my daughter complained she said daddy what does fucking yes mean when i battered the, the sofa <laughs> when Lawrence shankland um, scored that goal at Easter Road. So I'm going to bookend the two of them as a best moment is, is probably being at Easter Road because I was there. But bookending with with two Easter Road games, a Scottish Cup win, and then the Shankland winner, which um, when you were off doing your nails prior to us recording, Scott was telling me about the limbs and the away end <laughs> at full time, which sounded amazing. Yeah, to be fair, we've got Andy Morris saying uh, best was Shanks Easter Road 90 plus 3. I felt that was a pivotal moment in our season. Callum Taylor said um, Shanklin against Hibbs in the most recent derby. And Craig Archibald said best moment was taking my son to his first away derby and celebrating Lawrence Shanklin's late winner together. Brilliant. So that would be a, a cracking moment. What about you, Scott? Any, anything stand out? Was it one of those we've mentioned or anything different for you? Yeah, I, I can understand why people are picking the Rosenberg game. It maybe doesn't quite fall into the the moment category uh, because there, maybe people are talking about the, uh, the the tie in general. I think the two moments, and you mentioned Steve Morris earlier talking about Stephen Humphreys, that definitely falls into that category for me because it is one of those things that you know you, you seldom see. I, I think the other one, which was a really nice moment, was was probably the, the Josh Janelli strike against Aberdeen. So the, yep. during that minute's of pause for uh, for Dave Stewart, uh, I think that was a, a really a really nice moment, you know, a really great sort of minute or two as a as a, as a fan. Uh, so those would probably be the two moments for me that would that would sort of fall up there amongst the best. But I can fully appreciate why people have picked Rosenberg because as someone who grew up in the eighties and nineties, that was probably the best 
best sort of European experience I've had at Tynecastle since Stuttgart in 2000. You know, yeah. our, our best European experiences over the last 20 years have tended to be either away from home or we've had one or two moments at Murrayfield. Uh, so it was good. It, it was good to feel that way again uh, at the end of a European night. Yeah, I think that you you picked the my moment I'd picked was the same as what you mentioned there. Jambo Ryan actually messaged with that. He said best moment has to be Janelli Screamer during the minutes applause for the sad passing of David Stewart. That quality of goal and the timing of it won't be beaten. And yeah, I think that was a a, a really poignant moment um, to score such a a lovely goal as the as his picture was up on the screen and as all the fans are paying tribute. So yeah, I can see why that was picked, and that was the one that I'd kind of thought of as well. Looking through others, they said, um, Alistair Dobby said, Benny Halkett, Boyce Mackay and Gordon coming back from serious injuries. We could be picky about the whole moment thing, Scott, I know, but we'll we'll give people a bit of leeway here. We didn't really specify too many rules. Um, Jersey Steve said, best moment personally was the 3-0 derby at Tyne Castle. It was the only win I saw in the flesh this year. Um, Gary said the Sibbit goal against the wee team, of course, in that Scottish Cup game that that Mark mentioned that was a, a terrific moment as well. So like lots of lots of good moments last year, thankfully. Unfortunately, there were some poor moments as well. So the worst moment of 2023. We've got a few candidates for that as well. Let's have a look what we've got. Jamie says, does the level of officiating, particularly for teams outside the old firm, count? If not, I found the gradual loss of third pace place particularly painful. Um Stevie Morris said, Halliday's Barnet. Um, close second, uh, close second, Barnet, Rob Borthwick. <laughs> so, oh, to have that option for us follically challenged people. <laughs> yes, yeah, Stevie as well. Ah, yeah. Um, people but, in glass uh, houses, Stevie. Yeah, I, I didn't. I just think he's obviously referring to Rob's one, my number. Didn't mind it. But um, Halliday's, okay, yeah, I can get that one. Andy Morris says the capitulation at Pataudry after being 1-0 up. Um, Pete Douglas also referred to that game. Recent loss at Aberdeen. I'd lost hope and certainly didn't see our recent run of results coming. Fair play to Stephen Naismith. Um, a couple of people again. This is not This is going to be the maybe not quite a moment category, but Alistair Dobby and Greg Powery both said, uh, well, Alistair said watching our lead in third slip away and Greg said worst moment was chucking third. Um, FM Jambo said Robbie Nielsen's final game was the worst moment and again similar here Callum Taylor says the slump that's on Nielsen's sack although that's arguably not just one moment at least Callum acknowledged that uh, Grant Haddon said multiple ugly sister games where we didn't show up but for me the League Cup semi-final was the most uninspiring performance Gary agreed said the semi-final was the worst moment uh, we've got three referencing a derby, which I'm sure you can guess. Ryan Whitelaw said conceding two at home to Hebs after being two up. Uh, Tam said uh, the 80-odd seconds against Hebs where we chucked the most comfortable derby I've seen. And Jambo Ryan said, worst moment for me was the dreadful few minutes where we we allowed Hebs to get two quick-fire goals to drop Tynecastle. I feel that tremendous goal that day by Forrest lost its importance when we didn't win, which is annoying. And yeah, I agree. Um, Jersey Steve said worst moment of defeat at Easter Road I was also unfortunately there in the flesh walking out with us five points behind Aberdeen and third had gone um, I'm going to add in mine here mine uh, was when we went 3-0 down to Aberdeen at Pataudry do you know what I've got that on my screen right now 
And that was in, 3-0 after 28 minutes. Inside 30 minutes. Yep. Um, you could just, the team just looked like they were they were just bereft of anything at that point. And I'll be honest, I, I was delighted that that game finished 3-0 because at that point I thought they are going to try and better our 5-0 here and they easily could with the way this mm. game is going. I was sitting on my own on a little turret above delirious Aberdeen fans and um, it was very miserable. So I think that for me would probably be my worst moment. How about I, you guys? I think that's really interesting you've just mentioned that because the biggest story for, for Hearts in 2023, when I say biggest, the costliest when we're talking in this theme was basically five million minimum pissed against a wall for for an inability to to hold on to what we'd deservedly worked towards and, and, and got before throwing it away. So I was going through some of these games and thinking, when was it? What was there one game? Was it just a culmination of of various games? And I've got that Aberdeen 3 0 and it was on the back of back to back defeats against Celtic, conceding three in each, um, scoring one at Celtic Park and then losing three 0 at home. Um, in the Scottish Cup tie. We'd beaten St. Johnston, but prior to that, I was reading the Motherwell re- report and we had a chance. I think Snodgrass had set up Shankland or something like that, but that was when Kettlewell was interim charge and and they were 11th in the table. We were comfortable at Hamilton and beat Dundee United 3-1, so it wasn't really that. We drew at Livy, thumped at home against Rangers. That... That wasn't the worst of the year, but that, it wasn't even a case of alarm bells should have been ringing after that. That was just dreadful that day because we went into that game as not favourites, but a lot of people said they've got a chance because Rangers weren't great at the time. So that would that would certainly be one of them. But I don't know if there was one game. After the Aberdeen game, we went to Killy and lost, and then we lost at home to St. Mary and lost to Derby. So I don't know if it's one game in particular. That's the biggest galling aspect of 2023 was having something and being pretty close to it. And then just, I mean, Aberdeen came out of nowhere, but we allowed them to. They could have shown that form, but if we'd been better um, drawn at St. Mirren and just just horrible towards the end of the season. So that has to be the biggest annoyance overall. But if there's one game to to talk, Dundee was shite away from home. That was insipid. So was Aberdeen. But just the, the, the chucking away of third has to be the biggest um, frustration of 2023. Scott, any particular moments that that stand out that you would you would like to forget? Yeah, I think in terms of moments, that sort of schoolboy, uh, sort of, well, collective error against Dundee away is, has to be up there. You know, I, I don't think I've seen us lose a goal that that comically bad in, in some time. You know, you're, you're talking between Clark, Rolls and Denham. They all conspire to do the complete opposite of what you want them to do in that scenario. Uh, and although at this point of the season, that game or moment doesn't really have a, a huge bearing. At that time, it did. You know, f- things hadn't really started that well for us at the start of the season. Uh, we weren't picking up wins away from home, and, and and I think that was one of those games where you just thought, is it is it going to change? Or is it, are we just destined to be this sort of insipid away from home? So I think, yeah, in terms of really bad moments, uh, again, I appreciate why people would pick that, that sort of runny form. Uh, from that Rangers game onwards, I think as a game, 
the Rangers win at home would easily be my pick because to go into a match like that and have a midfield free of Snodgrass, Garankul and Barry Mackay is still one of those head scratchers. I don't know if I'll ever get past that uh, in, in terms of trying to figure out what it was we were looking to do that night. So that that would probably get a vote for worst match, but worst moment would probably be done the away. We'll have to ask Robbie when he next comes on the podcast about that that Rangers lineup. Um, <laughs> okay, on that note, let's let's move on to maybe a slightly more interesting um, area here. This is the biggest surprise of twenty twenty three. So this is not a moment. So this is this is a little bit more open to interpretation. Jamie messaged us said just how good Kent is was his biggest surprise. Stevie Morris said number of the number of Hearts fans who failed to have faith in Naismith given the injury issues. Um, uh, very timely. My next one is from Lucy. It says, biggest surprise, the fact that Naismith's head um, isn't quite on a stick by the end of the year. <laughs> there you go. Um, Tam says, uh, the surprise is how inept VAR has been in our games. Lost count of the times. They have not checked very clear-cut incidents. Jersey Steve said, biggest surprise is just how good of an all-round player and leader Shankland has become in 2023. Uh, both Gary and FM Jambo picked Denim as their biggest surprise. Um, Alistair Dobby, tongue-in-cheek, says big surprise was drawing both Hibs and Celtic in the Scottish Cup with a winky face. And I, I mean, this, this next one, we've got quite a few nominations, which would have been my biggest surprise as well. Jambo Ryan says, biggest surprise is definitely the win at Celtic Park. I think I, like most, expected a heavy defeat that day. I know they'd just been beaten the previous week, but I thought that that would have made it an even harder task. But to get our first win there in so long, when we'd been very poor uh, previously, was very surprising. Uh, Grant Harren also says Celtic nil hearts too. Not even the most optimistic Jambo would have backed that. Pete Douglas said Celtic win. Who saw that coming? Alan Fraser, Celtic away win. Nathan Curran says winning at Parkhead. And Greg Powery, the big surprise, beating Celtic 2-0 at Parkhead. Um, that would have certainly been mine. Um, be interested to know if either of you have a, an alternative biggest surprise of 2023. Yeah, I, I would probably say finding out that when we are looking to hire a new manager, we actually seem to refer to the the kickback polls. I thought that was quite a wow! Was, wow! That was quite a that was quite a surprise. Uh, no, in all seriousness, I think Celtic probably is the clear winner. could could not resist. <laughs> could not resist that one. Uh, <laughs> we're playing for next second. week's guest is yeah. <laughs> Scott's got a cold next week and is unable to be part of a podcast we're playing for second no one expected it it was it was how many what did we have two three and four Celtic um that that's that was that'll not be topped um as as far as something that looks different to what actually happened and I know that's a, I, I, I'm going to put it as a surprise in the topic because we don't have a something that looks different to what actually happened topic Hearts beat Aberdeen 5-0 I still think this is funny on the 18th of January it's the most non-5-0 game in the world it was it was it was a nonsense um, that we we won that 5-0 I'll take it it was brilliant loved it 
were we four 0 up at half time? Then Cami got a fifth. Um, yeah. it was that was just the weirdest, weirdest game. And they they had moments where they were on top, and it's just everything that could have gone wrong for them went wrong, and everything that could have gone right for us went right. And I'm, I'm seven gonna, shots on target, frightening. We won five and, nil, and frightening five nil. Um, I'm going to introduce a, a, another topic of because I can't fit it into to any of them. The the biggest transformation. I listened back to a couple of our podcasts towards the the, the first few weeks of the season. Lauren Shankland and how he has transformed his body shape, his um, his his goal scoring. At the start of the season, he was missing things that he would he would score with his eyes closed. We forget that now. Everyone's talking about Lauren Shankland and how much is he worth? And he's scoring every week, and it's brilliant. I love the fact that he's doing that. So good on him for a transformation. Whatever happened. Um, that that meant he he wasn't the Lauren Shankland that we remember from last season at the beginning of the campaign. He was he was missing chances that he would have scored with his eyes shut last season. And look at him now. So that for me, he deserves the from from zero to hero award in such a short space of time. I've just added that one in. Can get a trophy and engrave it for him for that. Why not? I mean Mike Bradley said the biggest surprise we still have Shankland. So there you go. 2023, the year that was. A, a mixed bag mm. of a year. Um, we'll be hoping that 2024 is less mixed and we can see out third place this time. And yeah, why not? A huge Hearts fan who followed him home and away. And there's a big banner over above section end to honour him. As Hearts come forward, Ginelli, lovely effort. What a goal! Josh Ginelli! With an absolute wonder strike. And I think that one was for David Stewart, whose image is still up on the screen to our left. His name is still up on the banner in section N. And Josh Ginelli pays tribute to a proper hearts man with a proper hearts goal, whipping it into the top right corner. And finally, hearts are level. Hearts of Midlothian one, Aberdeen one. Right, I think we've almost run out of time this week. Uh, we were going to briefly talk about January and what might be happening. At the time of recording, there's not any big bits of news that are worth going over. So I thought we'll maybe save that for next time as a way of some form of homework. We'll maybe put this out there. I'll tweet it as well. But um, Ken Moody messaged us a few weeks back and we were going to do a kind of focus on this we never got time though he asked him have you guys ever done a player-by-player -player squad assessment in terms of starter squad player development potential um, past their best injury prone not performing well enough it'd be interesting um, we wanted to do some kind of variation of that so I think we'll probably simplify it a little but maybe just look at the squad um, and kind of look at the players is that someone we want to keep are they a starter um, is it someone's a squad player is it someone we want to move on so I think next week We'll have a look at the Heart Squad, look at any kind of transfer news, look where we would think it should be strengthened and where we might see some players potentially going. And if, if you're listening and you want to have your say on the squad as a whole or any individuals, then let us know. Give us a tweet at Around the Funnel or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. Yeah, if you just want to let us know if you think any players, um, where they sit, if you would move them on or if there are any positions you feel we need to strengthen in particular 
or if there are any specific players, Jan Danda or someone else who you think we should actually go for, then yeah, let us know. Or you could post it on Kickback and maybe then it will make its way to Joe Savage. Oh, you're at it too. We're all at it. We're all at it. I'm only jesting, of course, though. Well, guys, it's been nice to have you both on for 2024. Did I didn't get a New Year's resolution from you, Scott? Uh, well, I've actually started to treat social media now as kind of a bit of a pub experience. So now, you know, if you're sitting in a pub, somebody came up to you and they gave you a username that just, you know, created red flags, you'd walk out the pub. If they started talking rubbish or you didn't agree with their... You know, their football opinions, again, you would walk out the pub. So why would you keep people like that on your social media? Just block them, mute them, whatever you want to do. So, yeah, I'm having some fun with that this year. That's, I mean, I feel like I would just be leaving lots of pubs if that was the case. I mean, it's quite a drastic move. Yeah, I'm enjoying it, though. I feel like I would just be that... um, Abe Simpson, when you walk, you know, he walks to the pub and <laughs> spins around and just leaves again. Yeah, maybe not leave the pub, maybe just walk away from that table or walk away from the bar. <laughs> Abe Simpson walks in, someone says, Shanklin needs dropped. Ah, I'm going home. See you all. <laughs> we had that conversation. God, I forgot about that. We had exactly. that conversation. If Scott was on the podcast, then he would have just left. Oh just my would have left right then and there. I mean, Shanklin, is he really all that? Look at him. He has, hasn't done anything. I think I was on that show as well. Was, I think, was that oh. not after the Celtic game when we got oh, beat four one? I think we'd been talking about his body language, eh? But then we'd we'd also mentioned that there's been the, the kid experts, born. experts in psychology, body know? shape, body language, kids being born. <laughs> what exactly? What what do we know? Just three talking heads that a lot of the time talk rubbish. But some. And on that note, thanks for listening, and hopefully you're tuning again <laughs> next time. Um, <laughs> what music you, oh I'm intrigued by the music hold on stop rewind give us give us a clue to the music now we need to we need help what you got for us really David Gray oh yeah you go Babylon yeah I thought that was obvious I alright smart arse you've not changed Jesus Scott if you walked into a pub and he was in it what would you do oh no worries fine ah there we go right Bring back Gowser, all is forgiven. Friday night, I'm going nowhere. All the lights are changing, green to red. Turning over TV stations, situations running through my head. Looking back through time, you know it's clear that I've been blind. I've been a fool. Open up my heart to all that jealousy, that bitterness, that ridicule. And if you want it, come and get it. Cry.